Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, share how their graduate school experience at GSPM helped them get an inside track to professional success, and how it can help leaders like you do the same. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or a review. Just a few seconds of your time can help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Justin Meyerhofer, an alumnus of the political management program at GSPM and a longtime public servant who has served everywhere from the House to the Senate to the Department of Energy to the Tennessee Valley Authority with a couple of other stops along the way. Justin started his career in Newt Gingrich's office back in the Contract with America days before moving on to the Senate. From there, he left government service for a spell, but he didn't go too far, making stops at the Republican National Committee and the Georgia Manufactured Housing Association. He returned to government as a senior policy advisor at the Department of Energy under President George W. Bush before moving on to the Tennessee Valley Authority, where he spent nearly 20 years and now serves as regional vice president. We're grateful to him for taking a break from his duties and finding a few minutes to join us today. Justin, thanks so much for chatting with me. Steve, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, let's start at the beginning. We always start there on this podcast. Where does the story of Justin Meyerhofer begin? Where were you born? What is what is your family like? Kind of what were you like as a kid? Where did this all begin? Steve, I was born in Carrollton, Georgia, about an hour west of Atlanta, in the early 1970s. And I went to. I was the youngest of two boys. My father was a clinical psychologist. My mother was a registered nurse who worked in the emergency room at the local hospital. Was born and raised in Carrollton, Georgia, and went to Florida State University in 1991 in the fall and spent four years down there. What was your path into into government and public service in this whole world? Like, did your did your family like talk about politics or current events at home when you were growing up? Or was that just like a separate thing? Like, how did you get interested in this whole world? Steve, I was actually one of my, so my mother in Carrollton, Georgia, my mom and my dad uh, knew a couple ma- named Newt and Jackie Gingrich. Mm. Newt Gingrich was a professor at West Georgia College, which is in Carrollton. And he and my dad actually taught different, different schools. He was in the history department. My dad was in the psychology department, but that's, uh, that's where we sort of dabbled a little bit in politics, uh, got to know, uh, Newt, Jackie Gingrich and actually Jackie Gingrich, uh, was my high school geometry teacher at Carrollton huh. high school. Fascinating. And so you knew the Gingriches, uh, just from kind of growing up there in Georgia uh, sounds like socially, 
started to get involved politically. How did you figure out that, you know, this isn't just like a nice thing that, you know, the Gingriches are involved in and that we dabble in from time to time. But uh, how do you figure out this is like a thing that you actually want to do with your life? Yeah. So, Steve, after I graduated from Florida State in 1995, I really didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I had a lot of thoughts about law school. I thought about, uh, you know, just going back to Georgia, finding a job in Atlanta. And then, coincidentally, Gingrich was the Speaker of the House at that time, contracted with America. Republicans took the House in 1994. And his executive assistant was a family friend from Carrollton, Georgia. Mm. And, and she got in touch with, with our family and said, hey, would Justin be interested in coming up and doing an internship for Speaker Gingrich in January of 1996? And what was that like? I mean, you're, you're a Georgia boy. You're going up to D.C., for the first time up to not just to DC, not just to, you know, be an intern in some backbenchers office, but you're going to the speaker's office at a time that is, you know, even looking back now, kind of a, a heyday for uh, Republican, uh, for Republicans on the Hill, that whole uh, Gingrich uh, era post-contract with America, like you mentioned, taking power in 1994. It's a, it's a big moment for Republicans. Um, and you're just right there in the middle of it. What was it like to be dropped into that situation as one of your first professional experiences? Steve, it was a it was a fascinating, incredibly exciting opportunity. When I and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. I went to Washington in January the, in 1996, and like many internships, of course, it was unpaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, to be honest, what I wanted to do after college, but I had majored in history at Florida State, and had always enjoyed learning a little bit about government and politics. And like I said, I had a friend who was the speaker's executive assistant, and Steve, my first day on the job, young 22-year-old, new to Washington, D.C., I was in the United States Capitol, and I was in the speaker's wing. You know, Newt had his personal office over in the Rayburn House office building, but he had the speaker's wing in the United States Capitol there. So, I was becoming familiar with the office and I had the opportunity one of my first few days as a, as an intern to walk out on the speaker's balcony mm. overlooking the national mall. And Steve, I was hooked from there, as you would say, <laughs> and developed a little bit of Potomac fever. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like that, that, that is an incredible view that, you know, not a lot of people get to stand on that balcony, but it's uh, if you have stood on that balcony, it's a pretty incredible view. Um, so you get hooked. You're you're in. Uh, you got the Potomac fever. Decide this is what you're going to do. Um, and from there, you you move across the hill to the other side to to the Senate, where you get a permanent job as a as a deputy uh, aide and assistant scheduler. Now those jobs, if you know anything about the Hill, those aren't glamorous jobs, but they're super super important jobs. Uh, offices don't run without those folks, particularly schedulers, in my opinion. Um, but even though those jobs aren't glamorous, they, they can teach you a lot, especially when you're young, like you were. What did you learn in that kind of first, quote unquote, real job that wasn't just an internship? Well, what did you learn in that job that has helped prepare you for, for the success you've had since? It's a great question, Steve. So, yeah, as, as you said, I went from the House over to the Senate. I took a, a job in the front office for Senator Paul Coverdale. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I sat in the front office with two other 
to other people. And what I remember most about it is that we were the front lines. You know, we were the face of the office. So when Georgians would visit the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., either for business or for personal reasons, uh, maybe a family on spring break, we were the front lines in the senator's office. And it was up to us to be welcoming to these families, uh, be, be very professional to uh, members of the administration, of the Clinton administration, members of other members of the United States Senate, members of the House uh, who might come into the front office. And, 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 and I'll never forget, probably my first few weeks on the job, Madeleine Albright walked into the front office. And I was sitting there as a 22, 23-year-old uh, young staffer. And coincidentally, Steve, she had actually spoken at my Florida State University college graduation mm. not long before that. And I was pretty amazed that I had the opportunity to meet with her in the senator's front office. It was an incredible opportunity. And it taught me about first impressions. Mm. They, they, are, they are so important. And, and it's smiling and a firm handshake and being professional. All of those, what we call today, soft skills, right. they're so important to, to a young person and, a, and, and other people's success as they, as they go throughout their career. In 1997, you leave the Hill, but you don't venture too far, just a couple of blocks away to the Republican National Committee, where you're the deputy director of the Congressional and, and Public Affairs Department. So you're not on the Hill per se, but you're very much still dealing with members of Congress, with the Hill, um, but just from a party committee. And that's that's kind of an interesting mix. There's not a lot of jobs like that. What, what does that job look like for you? And why did it feel like a, a good opportunity at the time? So, Steve, I was in the senator's office and working with and for a gentleman who who became the head of the Congressional Affairs Office at mm. the Republican National Committee. And like so often as it happens in, in Washington, if you've got a, 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 a good personality and you work hard and 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 do what you can to to support the the member's office and and whatever job you're in uh, you you develop a mentoring relationship and my my and, and basically he he invited me to go over to the Republican National Committee and work with him in the Congressional and Public Affairs Department but for me Steve it was it was you know you can't be sort of in the political space on Capitol Hill you know, you obviously are working for a Republican or you're working for a Democrat. Uh, but but when you're in the United States Senate, the United States House of Representatives, you're not working for the political party. And what that what that did for me was it took me, you know, like the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee. It gave me the opportunity to to really see the scenes of the political party apparatus and how it all functions and how money is raised. And, and one thing I always remember, Steve, is how, how neat it was for the convention committee, as an example, to get together and decide where the Republicans were going to go for their convention in the year 2000. And it was, it was really fascinating. I enjoyed that, that professional opportunity at the RNC. 
It is fascinating stuff, but then again, as as somebody who's spent most of my career working for and with party committees, uh, I'm I'm probably a little biased there. Um, you do that for two years at the RNC, and then in, in 1999, you go to the Georgia Manufactured Housing Association as their state and local government relations director. And you'd worked exclusively in and around Congress uh, at that point in your career. Um, obviously, Georgia is home, so there's a there's a home state connection there. But but why did it make sense for you to take this opportunity at this time where it sounds, at least from the from the job title, it sounds like the focus was much more on on working with state and local governments than than with the feds. Yes, that's correct, Steve. And I and I went, yeah, I, I moved down to Atlanta because I had actually got engaged to my wife. Her name is Kelly, and she was living in Atlanta at the time, and uh, she had a job in Atlanta, and and it just made a little bit more sense for me to move back down to Georgia. And we got married in August of 1999. And, and I, I moved back down to Georgia and began looking for a job. And, you know, like so many young folks, uh, you, you know, opening up your Rolodex and, and, and working your contacts to, to find that next step. And, and thankfully I got hired on at the Georgia Manufactured Housing Association. And, you know, as I've reflected over my career, Steve, I think about that job that I, you know, I did there for a year and, one thing ab- about Georgia, it has 159 counties, and I was doing the local and the state government relations, which meant I spent a lot of time in my car behind the windshield, mm. driving to a lot of planning and zoning commission meetings, uh, and 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 basically advocating present for the Georgia manufactured housing business, which is about a years ago, it was about a $9 billion industry uh, with the retailers, the manufacturers, uh, the folks that work in finance in that organization. So it was, it was, again, you know, you look back and you say, what did I learn from that experience? And, and I learned that, you know, you, 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 you have to show up. There's a lot of grassroots mobilization in, involved with that type of position. Um, and, and spending a lot of time on the road, going to see local and state officials. You're only in that role for, for about a year before you come back to the federal government, but, but this time in the executive branch as a senior policy advisor at the department of energy, like I mentioned in the opening, um, I think that's an interest, like, obviously you're married now from a personal life perspective. And I think we often forget when we're talking about professional stuff, the personal stuff matters too. Do you uh, do you haul your your new wife up to back up to Washington D.C. and and how was that decision made? And then similarly to that, you know, you served so lo- you served for a while in 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 the halls of Congress and and when you're at the RNC working with Congress, I'm I'm curious going over to the executive branch. What was the biggest thing that was different uh, being on that side uh, of the federal government from from the Hill? So, Steve, in, in January of 2001, my wife actually got a job at the Propane Education and Research Council, which mm-hmm. is one of those congressional checkoff programs that uh, that they set up. And it's basically she, she did a lot of work around safety of, you know, propane and mm-hmm. consumer education and things like that. She got a job there. So we actually moved because she got the job back Fantastic. to Washington. Yeah. And, and I got back up there in, in late January. And as it so often happens in, in, in our nation's capital, Steve, 
one of my former colleagues who worked in the Senate, he was the chief of staff at the Department of Energy for United States uh, Secretary Spencer Abraham. And he called me one day when I was at home because he was fully aware that I was looking for a job. And he called me in early February 2001 when they were really sort of still setting up the Bush administration and all the different agencies. And he said, Justin, do you have a job yet? And I said, I don't actually, I'm still looking. And he said, can you start at the Department of Energy tomorrow? And I said, well, what's the job? And he said, it would be in the Congressional and Public Affairs Department. And I said, well, you know, I don't have a job. Absolutely. And Steve, I look back on that and I, <laughs> it makes me laugh because I literally did not know what my job title would be. I knew that I would be in the Congressional Affairs Department, but I didn't know salary. Mm. I didn't know, quite frankly, where I was supposed to park. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't know any of those really important details, but I showed up and he said, Justin, I need people in congressional affairs who know how to get the president's nominees through the United States Senate. Mm. So that's what I really spent a lot of the next year doing, getting the deputy secretary, the undersecretary, and then all the different program office assistant secretaries confirmed through the Senate. And it's it's around this time that you also kind of find your way to to GSPM. Is that right? Just a little bit after that. That's correct. Even two thousand and two. And how do you how do you wind up at GSPM? How do you find out about all this? And and how do you make the decision? This is a thing you want to do with a significant amount of your of your time and energy. Yeah. So Steve, I, I knew about the Graduate School of Political Management. I had seen advertisements in a roll call newspaper and the Hill newspaper. Uh, and, and I, and I remember having a friend who had attended and he had some really good things to say about it. So day job. So what I ended up doing was applying to the night program while I was working at the department of energy, my wife and I, we, we have three kids today. They're 18, 16 and 11, but we didn't have any kids at the time. Mm. And, and, and I had, I had joined TVA where, where, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program that I had been for almost 20 years and, and TVA provided some financial support for me to attend graduate school at night part-time. So why did I make that decision to attend TVA? TVA is a quasi federal government agency. So we're not, you know, we're not like a, we're not like a private company, but to me, the attraction was I could learn how to navigate a little bit better in more of a corporate type setting with a, with my political background. And Steve, I, I've, I've always thought that to be a really good leader, you got to be a lifelong learner. Mm. And, and I knew if I went to the GSPM, I was going to meet people with different backgrounds and experiences from a, really across the political spectrum. And that would probably be helpful in my new career. And I knew, you know, I knew that the GSPM was considered to be the West point of politics. And, and that, that appealed to me at that time, both personally and professionally. The West point of politics is the first time we've, uh, we've heard that one on this program. I like it a lot. Um, 
what was your GSPM experience like? You, you decide you're going to do this. You get there. You're doing it at you're doing it at night. Um, what was the what was the experience like, and and what did you enjoy most about it? So I attended classes at night for several years, and I worked a full time job during the day, and had a young family. We had our first child in September of 2003. And I finished up in 2004. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was difficult, but I will tell you, Steve, it was very re- rewarding in the sense that you know, with my classmates, we were all really doing similar work, you know, whether it, whether it be at a company, like I was, I was working in and polling firm, we had folks working on Capitol Hill house in the Senate, or maybe the administration, or they were, or they were at a lobbying firm. So we, we, we actually had a lot in common and, and we could all, well, really, we all put our jobs aside in the evening and we engaged in some great conversations. We participated in case studies and, you know, we really just shared all our overall unique experiences. And, you know, these, these were people from all over the country. And for me, it was, edu- it was very educational in the classroom because I was learning a lot from students who who, unlike me, Steve, were not from the southeastern part of the United States. Mm. And, and, I, and I look back on that experience and I, I realized I learned much outside the classroom as I did inside the classroom and, and built some good relationships for life, really. And, I, you know, I'll tell you, Steve, one of my favorite classes was taught by, I, I think his name was Julius Hobson. Mm. And and he was one of the top executives, I want to say, with the American Medical Association. And, you know, I remember not only learning a lot about the politics of healthcare, his knowledge of, you know, how a bill becomes a law was was deep. And I, I really, I really enjoyed that that class. You've obviously now graduated from GSPM and gone on to even more success in your career afterward. What do you think is the most valuable thing that students can take away from their time at GSPM that will help them succeed in their careers, whatever that career path may be for them? You know, I, th- I, think, I think a lot of the, what you get from the GSPM, Steve, is a foundation and you get fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the, the the education you get at the GSPM is it's diverse. You know, you you can do classes in lobbying to corporate strategy to grassroots mobile mobilization to political campaigning, uh, even statistics. And you know, no matter no matter where your career takes you, the GSPM trains you fundamentals of politics. You know, not to well, to use a football analogy, uh, what I would characterize as blocking and tackling mm. politics, the fundamentals. While you're at GSPM, you also uh, make a change in job, as we, as you kind of mentioned before, going from the Department of Energy to uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority, which you did in 2002. Um, you, you touched on it lightly, but for those who don't know, can you explain what the TVA actually is and actually does? Yeah. So, Steve, the, the TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, it's the, it's, it's the nation's largest public power utility mm. in the United States of America. And we generate electricity at coal and gas and nuclear and hydro. 
uh, as well as solar facilities across seven states in the southeast. And we do that with with and in partnership with about 153 local power companies and directly served industries. And and interestingly, Steve, we were we were created by legislation that was signed into law by President Franklin Roosevelt, mm-hmm. May the 18th, 1933. And so so when I first started with TVA from 2002 to t- 2012, I was working on the federal affairs team in the in the Washington DC office for a company whose mission was was and is literally written in congressional statute. Mm. So, so, you know, understanding the legislative process well enough was important for me. And, you know, I was, I was able to sharpen a lot of those skills at the GSBM. You start as a director of government relations, like you mentioned at the TVA and have basically been there ever since moving on to become vice president, chief of staff in the CEO's office, vice president of external affairs, vice president of federal affairs, and and now regional vice president, you know, nearly 20 years that's a that's a long time to be to be anywhere. What have you found to be most rewarding about your work uh, at the TVA that has motivated you to to kind of put down roots and stay there and grow there? You know, Steve, the 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 the, the, the people. I would say the people. Uh, the utility business. Step back. It's not an industry that people think about often, right? I mean, in your day to day hectic personal professional lives. Um, but, but we have, you know, I work with 10,000 women and men, you know, at TVA and, and in, in partnership with our local power companies, these folks work 24, seven, 365 days a year. And they keep the lights on for 10 million people who, who live and work and raise their families in the Southeastern United States. And if you, if you think about it, Steve, electric utilities really drive forward this country's massive economic engine and it's $20 trillion gross domestic product. You know, we keep the lights on at both homes and businesses across the United States. And, and, and as, as the regional VP of our North region in the Tennessee Valley, which, which is basically middle Tennessee mm. and can, and Kentucky, my job here is to kind of share that story about how we keep electricity flowing, you know, and it's, and it's it's to tell the story of how we support and how we work with the states that that we serve on things like economic development and and creating and retaining jobs. You know, we we work with cities like Nashville, who, you know, a hundred people are moving into Nashville every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're experiencing record and phenomenal growth. But we also work with rural communities in our region to support their agendas. And you know, Steve, one of the one of the things I think about with TBA politically we're a product of the new deal mm-hmm. we were created during the depression and, and if you think and your listeners think about the politics of this you know we you got a president from new york a new deal democrat whose name was franklin roosevelt working with a progressive united states senator from nebraska a republican mm whose name was George Norris. And they basically created an organization in bipartisan fashion called TBA. And, you know, Steve, neither of those two gentlemen were from the Southeastern United States of America, Mm. but they came together to create an organization that Franklin Roosevelt said would be a corporation clothed with the power of government Mm. 
but hmm. possessed the flexibility and the initiative of a private enterprise. So it's a it's a fascinating, you know, there's a lot of talk in Washington today and at the current moment about infrastructure mm. and and developing bridges and roads and the, the electrical grid. You know, these the, TVA was a product of that discussion back in 1933. And it and 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 if you think about the challenges of pulling something together like that uh, in a bipartisan way. <laughs> and fast forward to today, you recognize just how really difficult that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredibly uh, historic institution by kind of any metric. Um, speaking of institutions, this is a question I ask, you know, most people on this show, trust in, in institutions is, is at an all time low um, kind of institutions writ large government, private sector, you know, universities, education. Um, and that's particularly true among young people. Um, as somebody who's worked in a lot of really big institutions, continues to do so, um, what advice would you give to a young person on, A, why they should even bother to get involved with, with any of this stuff? Why should they care? And B, you know, how can they find, what's the best way for them to find their own path or their own way through which they can contribute to and, and, and participate in these things? It's a great question, Steve. And I, I've thought about that a lot, you know, as, as you know, I, I live in Tennessee now and, and, and left Washington in 2012, although I, I went back very, you know, very often for, for my, for my position one of the things that when I went to Washington in 1996, uh, you know, I would walk by the United States Capitol. The lights are on at night. The flags are flying above the Senate, flags flying above the House. You knew they were in session. And you would walk by as a young person and, and, it, and, and you would have chills go up and down your spine. Uh, or at least I did. Mm. And I, I thought, Steve, a lot about the day that I walk by the United States Capitol or the White House or the Washington Monument or the Jefferson Memorial, and you don't get that chill up and down your spine, might be a good day in the city. You know, um, it should always be impressive. And, and I'll, you know, I'll say that that was why it was last January 6th of 2021. It was really painful for me as a human being and as a person who had walked the halls of the Senate and the House and, the, and, and everywhere in the United States Capitol to see what had happened there on January 6th last year. It was really sad to me. Um, it made me really upset. Mm. And, and, and I think we've become all too cynical in our politics. You know, I went to Washington in, in the mid nineties, uh, worked for Paul Coverdale, who was a Republican Senator from Georgia. The other, the other Senator from Georgia was a Democrat. Mm. And his name was, and his name was Sam Nunn. And, and those two worked together on specific Georgia issues to improve the state. And, and, and they parked their politics aside. And so, so, so what I'm getting at, Steve, is I, I think 
I think we shouldn't become so cynical in our institutions. I think, I think, you know, I think this filibuster debate that we're currently watching, what to do, should we change the Senate rules? I think, I think instances like that, um, to uphold the institutions, um, you know, these debates are important. And, you know, I think, I think back to the mid nineties, politics wasn't so personal Mm. back then. (laughs) Um, you, you didn't, you didn't see a D or an R beside someone's name and immediately think they were a disgrace. Mm. You would, you would, as, as the old Reagan line goes, you would (laughs) trust, but verify, and you would get to know people. You would build a relationship with them. And, and I think we need more of that. You know, it's, it's always harder to someone who, you know, personally, and, and, and I think the, the members of the House and members of the Senate, um, if they knew each other a little more personally, maybe even the, on a family level, then, then it, might, it might help things. But I, I would always encourage young people who don't know what they do but have an interest in politics, go to Washington. Go, go to Washington and do an internship. Go learn and go listen and go watch and go go build relationships with others that'll that'll impact you for the rest of your life because at the end of the day washington dc if you've got a great personality if if you work hard it's one of the most upwardly mobile cities i think in america Mm. last question there are a lot of opinions about what makes for a a successful career And, and in your experience what have you found to be most important is it what you know or is it who you know, or is it some combination of both? Great question. You know, I think I think Steve, what you know, you know, is often the price of admission at the gate. Mm. You know, you got to know something about your subject. Otherwise, it's hard to get into the room. However, I will tell you, I have never a job because of what I know. And because who I know. Mm. And I think back to that that story of the Department of Energy when my former colleague reached out and, and called me and said, Hey, do you have a job yet? Uh, if you don't, I've got one for you. And he knew what my work product was. Mm. You know, I, I I think the other thing there, Steve, is if I'm talking to a young person about kind of what what to focus on i I would say figure out who your mentors are Mm. you know it it doesn't have to be a formal exercise every young person's got someone in their personal and professional lives who positively influence them um you know watch them listen to them uh and, and probably most importantly ask them to guide you and tell you the truth about what you can do or not do to get better and you know i i think a couple other things I would say. Second, say yes. Mm. You know, it, it sounds simple, but you're going to get asked to do things in your career. Maybe it's an attending an event. Maybe it's doing what you might consider to be a meaningless task. Do it. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the most important things I did working as a young aide for Senator Coverdell was give tours of the United States Capitol. And I tried to do that with enthusiasm 
and gusto and giving it my all, you know, and, and what was fascinating, Steve, was people who I worked with and worked for, they began noticing those sorts of things. Hey, this guy's, he's got a pretty good attitude while he's giving a tour to constituents who are in town from Georgia. Mm. You know, you know, and, 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 and finally, Steve, I think third, I would, Remember that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. You know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Our our nation's capital and 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 you know, through the course of my career working in state and local and federal politics, you know, there are some incredibly smart human beings who work in this industry. Time and time again, I've seen people who want to sort of tell you how smart they are or what it is that they know, but they don't have a relationship or they don't at least give the impression that they don't care about you as a person. So build a constructive relationship and remember that empathy matters, you know, be approachable. And if you've got a positive attitude, a can do spirit, and you got that ability to build a relationship and express empathy, you can go pretty far in your career, I think, and, and accomplish what it is you set out to do. Wise words from a wise person, Justin Meyerhofer. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share a little about your journey, sir, and, and to share some extremely good advice for our for our young friends. And I, you know, I hope our I know our audience is going to learn a lot, and I hope they hope they take your advice. Thanks so much for for taking the time, Steve. Thanks for having me today. I enjoyed it. All right, thank you, sir.